When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But the Stones definitely, it's a different, a very different animal hearing their music live than it is their recordings. The recordings are a very specific thing. And then like a Led Zeppelin or something, they go out and play live and it's a, just a different experience. You'll recognize the song, but it just sounds super different um, and mm. raw. But yeah, I remember really loving it. The stage was a spectacle. Again, just going to these big arena shows. And yeah, I got, I was there for the whole show. So that was good because I remember going to, uh, like you, going to festivals at the Cotton Bowl and when I was really young and just not even being able to stay for the whole show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce Street. I guess we're on Exile Exile Street, maybe? <laughs> uh, I have a fellow podcaster, Roberto, on the phone. Roberto, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really enjoying learning about what you've been doing with this podcast. Yeah, tell us about yourself. I am a musician and as you said, a, a fellow podcaster. I've been playing music since I was about 13. I'm a drummer predominantly, but I also sing and have written a little bit of music. And let's see, I'm an expat living abroad in, in Querétaro, Mexico. I've also lived in Panama with my wife in, in California. Before that, I started in Texas, so it feels like I've lived in three different countries or four. But And I'm also a bit of a tech nerd. I goof around with web development things and uh, whatever else comes my way. Yeah, that's about it. What what brought you to Mexico? We, My wife and I had been in Panama for about six and a half years prior to Mexico. And post-pandemic or during the pandemic, we were thinking since most of our family's in the U.S. And we thought if we ever had to drive there, it would be nice to be able to because driving from Panama is quite a feat with all the borders. And I, I have family in Monterey, Mexico, and also near Mexico City. And uh, my father was born in Mexico, so I have some roots here. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. So I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? Oh, I grew up in Arlington, Texas. I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. As a very young person, I heard a lot of Ray Charles, Janis Joplin, 
Jimi Hendrix, some Mexican music, not the ranchero variety so much, but some traditional songs that were done more instrumentally, Bette Medler, Joe Cocker, Beatles, things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Love I, yes, I'm a, I currently live in Dallas, so mm-hmm. I moved here in 86. As we're recording this, the Arlington Rangers are yeah. two wins away from being in the World Series. So don't know if you're a baseball fan, but you've mentioned Arlington. I can't. That's on my mind right now. Yeah, I've been watching it a little bit or paying attention to them. Actually, I don't have I haven't ventured out to a sports bar and don't have a subscription to anything where I can see the game. But I, the MLB app's kind of nice for following the live action. So I've been doing that. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I what kind of you you mentioned when we talked that you had a lot of different fandoms you mostly rolling stones but also zeppelin foghat and cheryl crow got crows but talk about as a teenager and as you're getting into college age what did you do musically what did you find that you that spoke to you the rolling stones were speaking to me from the beginning but led zeppelin and Jimi hendrix and cream those bands were the earliest and then later some of the bands that more or less came out of the 70s like aerosmith and zz top yeah and and fog hat became a thing and and actually bruce springsteen i was thinking about it and i don't know if i mentioned it in our correspondence but i've, I've i have seen him a couple times and he was as you can imagine talking about the type of music i listened to and probably guessing about when i went to high school bruce springsteen was definitely on the soundtrack you just there was no escaping hearing his music yeah and uh, lucky for me a friend of my older brother's had a couple of extra tickets to one of his shows that i got to go see and i believe i don't have a ticket stub anymore but i believe it was his darkness tour in 78 and that would have been it i was looking it up if the interwebs are accurate it would have been um july 78 at the dallas convention center and Honestly, I knew who he was. This guy who who had the tickets obviously was a big fan. And I remember being struck by what good musicians they were. And it sounds silly, but I, going in not knowing anything about him at the time other than a few songs I'd heard. He wasn't as huge on the radio, but he obviously no. was big on the radio at that time. But I just was blown away by his band. And I don't remember the concert being particularly long, although it may have been. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there are many classic fans that would tell you you saw the band at their best. There are many people that say the Darkness tour was one of the best tours. I didn't see until I was until 2002, so I'm biased. But but yeah, that there will be a lot of people you said them at the. At, one of the peak members of the the peak levels of East Street Band. What was the other show you went to? I have a ticket stub here. Check it out. It's uh, yeah, 1985, September 14 at the Cotton Bowl. Nice. And the Born in the USA tour. Yeah. And on my memory, of course, the venue for me in at the convention center being smaller was much nicer. I think yeah. I had decent seats for the Cotton Bowl, as as decent as you can can have at the Cotton Bowl. But I, I have to agree with that probably that first show was the most striking in terms of how they sounded. But of course, the Born in the USA tour was a spectacle. <laughs> yeah. And it was the beginning of the era. It was the beginning of the era of the Giganimus Arena shows. 
Right. And I remember he was playing super long <laughs> sets back then. I don't even know what he does these days. But yeah, there was a girl that I really liked that I took to the show. <laughs> I remember that uh, from high school. And yeah, I, I remember it being a really great show. I, I was thinking a couple of other things today, just about looking forward to our conversation that I didn't realize Mac, Max Weinberg, I'm not sure he played with them back in 78, perhaps, but I saw him at the Cotton Bowl and I, I didn't really think much of him back in those days. And then he joins whichever of the late shows he later played on. Yeah, Cohen, Conan, yeah. Thank you, thank you. And I remember going, wow, that guy's really fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was one thing I was thinking of. And another thing I was thinking of, I wish I could, I'm sure I can look it up, but I remember seeing him on Saturday Night Live once. And I don't know how many times he's been on there, but I remember thinking, man, I really, I really love the style of music that he's playing right now, it sounds very kind of rock oriented compared to things I'd heard him play in the past, which I suppose have the a very sort of signature Bruce Springsteen Americana pop feel for the times. Yeah. But I'll have to go find out what he was probably playing in that performance and check out. Yeah, the album. I know fairly recent he did a he was on for a Christmas show once with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were the co-hosts and, and he did meet me in the city. Let's see. I'm looking it up as we talk. Yeah. This would have been a much before that era of Saturday night live. Okay. And I can't remember who the big stars of the cast were at that time, but if this is, if my memory serves me correct, you yeah. know, I'm thinking that I did see him on there once. I guess he's maybe he's been on there at least twice. So yeah, he's been on, 2092 that would have been the other band that's when he had fired the e street band wow then october 5th 2002 that would have been on the rising tour right after 9 11 and he did the rising 2015 was when he had done a the river box set and then 2020 was the letter to you which is his latest studio album but yeah he is one away from being a five-time member. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it was that first appearance then. Uh, yeah. Be, yeah. I'll, that makes for, more sense. Thanks for looking that up. I'll, I'll yeah, no problem. So when... Thank you. It's always fun to talk brewers. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. When do you let's talk about the stones? What what about them? Can you remember when you first became aware of them and what about them spoke to you so much? I, I remember my oldest brother who was a musician and, and did some professional things when he was very young. He had man, he might have had an acetate. I'm not sure if that's what it was called. It wasn't a 45. <laughs> And, and it might have been a 78 something, and it didn't yeah. look like a normal piece of vinyl. And that was a demo that his band had done of Lady Jane, the Stone song. So I remember that. Okay. But then he also had this compilation set called Hot Rocks, which I understood to be a big seller. So that was the first exposure. And then I saw them on TV on Don Kirshner's Rock concert, and they were promoting their Goat's Head Soup album. Okay. And I just remember being mesmerized with these this glam rock <laughs> Jagger and these uh, these other guys that were playing music with them. I really dug their music and you know, that was the beginning. It really was. I always like to preface this Roberto, the amount of times you've seen a band perform is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that because of where they live have seen if they went to college in the late 70s, they saw Bruce probably tons. Um, but you mentioned at least seeing them once. How many times have you seen the Stones perform? So I didn't see them the first time until 82. Okay. And that was at the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I saw them two, two days in a row, once on Halloween. The first day it was raining miserably. I remember that. And then I believe I saw them on their Steel Wheels tour Okay. And I think that was also an outdoor show. Before either of those, though, I remember being 16, 17, back when tickets were distributed. They would announce big ticket sales, like the day they went on sale yeah. and where they were being sold. And I drove down with as quickly as I could to the box office for the Fort Worth or Tarrant County Convention Center. No, actually, they were actually going to play the Will Rogers auditorium which was a tiny venue in support of their some girls i did not get tickets that day so i had to wait until 82 and then i think it's possible i'm forgetting one but i did see them on their 50th anniversary tour memory serves correctly in san jose california um, which would have been sometime before 27 2016 when i moved in so they have continued to be one of your companions the band that you continue just to mm -hmm. find support and solace in. Yeah, and in fact, it's funny. We're talking today and talking about them. I think just in two days, they're going to release their first studio album of original material since, gosh, maybe 2005 or something. So yeah. it's very exciting. Yeah, that I bet that is. Yeah, have you pre-ordered it? I have not. I, I'm, I love these guys. I've got a poster or a framed 
Brian Jones era photograph of him in my yeah. studio here. But no, I, I have been dreaming of that. I don't even have a, these days, I don't have a, a record player. It would be nice to get the vinyl and yeah. maybe someday I'll do that. When we left the States, I, I got rid of the vinyl I had in my record player, but I have been anxiously waiting for it. I have listened to the first two releases that they've had out and yeah, I'm really excited about it. There's even one or two tracks I think they salvaged from recordings that they did with Charlie before he died. The drummer. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember just when Charlie died, so many great stories about him and just and, and how vital he was to the band. So that's cool that they were able to. Similar thing when Bruce lost, the band lost Clarence, they had for Land of Hope and Dreams, they were able to take one of his saxophone solos and put it on Wrecking Ball, even though he had gone, he had passed. Yeah, that's got to be exciting. Yeah, and that's a very cool story too about yeah. Clarence. Yeah, yeah. You any stories from seeing him live? Anything? I I've only gone to one concert at the Cotton Bowl. It was a early, gosh, this must have been seventy eight, seventy nine, maybe one of the. I went to a Willie Nelson festival that was at the Cotton Bowl, right? That the, they had the rock jams and then they had, I, they didn't call it 4th of July picnic back then, but it was, it was an all day long. And I went to that. I drove up from Lake Charles, Louisiana to go see Willie. And I remember it was brutally hot at the Cotton Bowl, just, <laughs> yes. just brutally hot. So any stories from any of those shows? Probably the Cotton Bowl ones would be the most memorable because they were the yeah. first time I got to see them. And I don't remember it being brutally hot. I think we got really lucky. It was October. And, but except it rained really bad on the first day. I, I happened to run across a, just accidentally ran across a picture of them playing in the rain at the Cotton Bowl on that day. It was oh, on Twitter, fun. I think. Yeah. And I didn't remember. I remember getting rained on and so funny. I don't remember like sitting there watching them play in the rain, but I guess they did. And then the next day I went back and uh, it was just beautiful sunshine and it was Halloween day. So that was really beautiful. Or maybe the rainy day was Halloween day. I mean, it was just, it was really a great experience. They, when I go back and listen to the recordings of that tour, I wouldn't say they were necessarily at their best, but they're the stones and it's just amazing. I don't know if you have, if anyone ever says that about, Bruce Springsteen or the E Street Band. Yeah, it wasn't like they're, they weren't at their musical best uh, on that tour, but the Stones definitely, it's a different, a very different animal hearing their music live than it is their recordings. Their recordings are a very specific thing. And then like a Led Zeppelin or something, they go out and play live and it's a, just a different experience. You'll recognize the song, but it just sounds super different um, and mm. raw. But uh, yeah, I remember really loving it. The stage was a spectacle again, just going to these big arena shows. And yeah, I got, I was there for the whole show. So that was good because I remember going to, uh, like you, going to festivals at the Cotton Bowl and when I was really young and just not even being able to stay for the whole show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, I'm going to come back to music in a minute, but I'm curious, talk about, um, talk about the podcast a little bit. Tell me why you decided to do it and tell me a little bit about it. Sure. So it's called the Unstarving Musician Podcast. It's a podcast for independent musicians. It's an interview format. So I talk to largely independent musicians and some industry professionals who aren't necessarily musicians. And we, I explore the guests 
careers or their and or their work to learn things both for myself, which translates into curated goods mm-hmm. for the audience, things that work, things that haven't worked. And sometimes we run across some things that, that even my guests are struggling with. And so we get into conversation about that. And sometimes I actually have things to share with them that, that are helpful to them. It's weekly on Fridays, which I think yours is too, from looking at the ske- the publishing yeah. schedule. Yeah. And I think we I started recording in 2016. but published my first episodes in 2017. Although there was a series published before The Unstarving Musician, and it was in support of a book that inspired The Unstarving Musician. And the book was called, is called The Unstarving Musician's Guide to Getting Paid Gigs, (laughs) which is um, my story of how I became a a working musician in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then again, in the San Francisco Bay area, just how I managed to stay booked all the time and and get to play with people that I enjoyed playing with all the time and getting paid. And I wrote that because I was meeting musicians from time to time that seemed to be struggling. And then the idea just grew. And that's um, the encouragement of a mentor. I started the podcast and then that sort of uh, everything grew for me because then I started talking to people who were touring all over the country and sometimes around the world. And occasionally I'm talking to people like I have an episode dropping this week with the original singer from Dishwalla and other interesting folks have been on there. So I get to learn all kinds of things in it. So did you always know you wanted to make music? Yeah. Up in Arlington. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hearing the records and even the band kiss when I was a kid had me really thinking about playing. And I don't remember if I saw that stones appearance on Don Kirshner's, uh, before I started getting this feeling that I wanted to play drums. But uh, definitely when I saw them, I, I knew I wanted to play guitar or drums or sing. And uh, and that was literally the, the TV thing was when I was 13. And then even before that, I was thinking about it and figuring out how to play drums before I had drums. Yeah. When you said you were playing gigs, where were you playing in the Dallas area? A lot in Arlington, but I would also play in Dallas. So playing, I played in a lot of cover bands and then did some stuff in Deep Ellum with some original bands and also in Arlington and the, the Fort Worth and Hearst Julius yeah. Bedford area. And then occasionally going out of state, I played in Louisiana and Oklahoma as well. Yeah. yeah so mostly close to home. Yeah. Poor David's pub? No, I don't think so. It's a great mm. place. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my but- favorite venues it just for music and smaller bands yeah what do they have going on these days musically i moved to dallas in got married in 84 we moved to dallas in 86 so i and i remember 88 89 i'm still friends with sarah hickman who okay. was big in the area, Edie Bukel and the New Bohemians, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm trying to think of other bands back then. Brave Combo, which is still going strong from Denton. Yeah. So yeah, he's David Card still booking people and playing music at Poor David's. And it, it's, we don't have a strong, I'm old. So there still may be a strong of music live in Deep Ellum and other Dallas. I just am not doing that as much so yeah that's cool yeah i think there is still a vibrant scene there because one of my friends and former bandmates from those years long ago his son is now playing 
music and and doing a lot of sound engineering and i think that he plays when he's in town occasionally plays Mm -hmm. in in deep elm so i guess they're still doing that thing down there yeah so roberto as you did the podcast is there anything that stands out that surprised you once you started doing this it was definitely learning all the things about being or trying to be a pro musician that I just had never been exposed to because I was playing really close to home for most of the time that I've ever played. And so I'm always trying to get embedded in the local scene and that's just what I do. Yeah. But like I said, I've talked to people who've done all kinds of things in terms of where they play, but also in different genres. And so I've actually tried to learn a bit about genres that, that I don't listen to or have never collected or anything that are are very popular country being one of them. I'm, you know, growing up in Texas or anywhere in the States, you, you couldn't escape country. And then I'm um, the same with hip hop it, it and rap. It became, um, evidently, uh, it became evident that it was going to be <laughs> popular for a long time yeah. know, some years ago. And, and here it is still going really strong for arguably stronger, for longer than even rock music has. So that's been a surprise. But then also just specifically about podcasting, all that goes into it, the work that it takes to be consistent. I'm at approaching 300 episodes and all the things you can learn about getting the word out about what you do. Yeah. Do you still play music? I do. In fact, so we got to Querétaro, Mexico about a year and almost a year and six months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's been a bit of a slow start, but I did meet some guys, a couple of expats, and then hooked up with a local guy, a couple, and another so was a pair of local, a pair of local guys, and me and a couple of other expats that play in this kind of blues cover ensemble, blues rock, I would say. But this mm-hmm. month, as fate would have it, a very talented uh, blues artist who cut his teeth in Chicago, his name's Johnny Bergen, he just coincidentally got invited to play the tenth annual blues festival here in Querétaro. And I coincidentally know him and have performed with him a couple of times. And so I'll have an opportunity to play with him for, from four times when he's here this month. And then I have a, a new ensemble of my own that I'm going to be singing in that's going to play later this month. And uh, yeah, I'm real busy all of a sudden. So yeah. That's awesome. It. Yeah. I always find this interesting and this is, you know, how the sausage is made, but where do you find your guests? You know, in the beginning, as you may recall, it's a lot of outreach. And then, hey, if you know someone else that might be a good yes. recommendation, let me know. I finally yes. caught on to that. At first, of course, you know, for me, and maybe it was this way for you, you're just panicking. You want to publish every week and you don't always have a guest. But then it evolved into I start getting contacted by public relations people. And so I have a, like a long running list of submissions now. So there's um, a submission nice. process. Yeah, it's very nice. I go through and and hand select a small number of those people. And then lately, I have a a guest, what do you call it? A a guest relations advisor who just supports me a, a bit with the podcast. And so he'll occasionally recommend someone that he sees. I had Susan Rogers on very recently and she, one of the a pioneer. She's a, one of a few women who started in the music business in her time. And she was a sound engineer for, and did mixing and a lot of recording work with Prince up until Paisley Park was built. So she's got a real interesting history that goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. And nowadays though, I'm starting to, I've gotten interest in 
finding people who've had a level of success that's very publicly visible, whether it, it yeah. whether they still maintain that success or maybe they're, they've transitioned into a less visible part of their career. The gentleman from Dishwalla, so they were a big band in the 90s and maybe up into the early 2000s and then the, the record label folded or something and band breaks up. But he's had a, I learned a very successful uh, solo career just doing things like an independent musician. So I do a little bit of outreach too. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I do the same thing. I reach out. There's a little bit of, I have to get up past a little bit. My guests will go, well, I don't know anything about Bruce Springsteen. I'm like, that's okay. I just, all I will care about is if you're passionate about music and then we can have a conversation. That's good. Yeah. What are you listening to now musically? Obviously you're going to be listening to the stones in a couple of days, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let me see if I, a new artist I just found, I listened to couple of music podcasts as you can imagine yeah and i was listening to uh, an episode of wtf hosted by mark Marin. yeah and he had a he doesn't always do this but he had two guests on that day i'm not really sure what mm -hmm. what that was about but one of them i believe i'm looking for his name to make sure i get it right but i believe it's mark rabot okay the guitar player let's see yeah here he is let's see yeah mark rabot mark with a c mm -hmm. and uh, he uh He's he's a multi genre. He's a guy who's covered multi genres. I was listening to an album called Ilos Cubanos Postizos. Wow. <laughs> it's really cool. It's him and a band called Los Cubanos. And so yeah, I was checking that out. And then Susan Rogers, when I was talking to her for the podcast, she mentioned a couple of bands I'd never heard of, including um, King Gizzard. And, and the Lizard Wizard, rather, and then a band called Tennyson. And I checked them out. Super interesting. I'm looking forward to listening to them. And then something I never even really knew about, also because of Susan Rogers, uh, Prince had this album called The Black Album that he <laughs> pulled from the loading docks before it was released. Hmm. And so it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist on the streaming services like all of his other stuff does now. And it's I think it's rare to find. But... God bless YouTube. Yeah. People post whatever they can get their hands on. So I found it on YouTube. So I've been checking that out too. Yeah, I think that's one of the joys of that because of phones, YouTube, when there's that, oh, blank shared, blank join someone, blank on uh, a screen stage, often you get a little clip of it. You get to see, which still wants you there. You still want to be there, but it is a little bit, at least you can see that. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. Yeah. And on top of that, all the, you know, those early Stones things I was telling you about, because of YouTube, I've been able to go back and easily see them again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Roberto, are there a couple of themes that, and I hate to use the word mistakes, but are there things that when you're talking to your guests and talking about how to promote yourself and how to make sure you're not a starving musician, are there some themes or su suggestions on a regular basis that you go that people are forgetting to do or reluctant to do? I was just writing. I did a survey of my listeners earlier in the year. And one of the things that were at the top of the list that they wanted to learn about was getting better gigs. Yeah. Now I fed them some options, but I did give them the other option. Yeah. <laughs> but that was one of them and they did express interest in that. And I, I don't know that this is not really common among 
<clears throat> the guests that I talk to, but I, I wouldn't say that I explore it intensely. I do run into and notice a fair number of musicians who might be more like myself who are playing a local scene who yeah. are part of a band, but they don't really help the band promote their gigs. Yeah. And they might be a really fine musician. And I was, I just, I just have always grown up thinking, man, promote every gig and try to play with people who help you promote if you're in a band. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. The other interesting thing, and this crosses all kinds of businesses, not just the business of being an independent musician, but a lot of people and musicians are guilty of it. Not all of them, but of, of dismissing email mm -hmm. as being a significant part of marketing and also dismissing um, a website as being a significant part of that. And so social media is obviously hugely important, especially, and it's funny because I heard someone talk about this, or I was talking with a guest about this, but Facebook is even going that way because the younger generation, Facebook's not really their thing. However, right. Facebook's ad tools are huge very powerful he was reminding me so that's something i think that is a problem with a lot of people they have in their head that oh that's the old way of doing it or they maybe they don't want to mess with it and just don't want to take the time to learn how to do it but i think more most commonly probably is that the struggles come from everybody can make music and publish music these days everything the, the whole recording things the bars dropped really low for being able to do all this stuff and I think that we lose sight of the fact that overnight successes happen in about 10 years or 15 years. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really happen overnight. So as usual, there, there are themes that I run into where I end up telling the same story for multiple episodes because it just fits. And I was listening to an interview with Jason Isbell and he was saying that because he owns the record company, he doesn't put out a new album till he's ready versus like in the past. Hey, you got five songs. Let's go, Jason. Yeah. And so he talked about this new album, Weather Vane. He didn't release it till he thought it was ready. And he said the same thing you did, that it's very easy to put out music now. There's no barriers. And he says the worst thing can happen is your first upload is successful because then you think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're not. He said that you, and I was talking to someone who ran a comedy club for years and he talked about with stand up comedians, you're not good. You just have to do it over and over again to get good. And I love your point, right? Overnight successes usually take five to 10 years. Right. All that doing that 10,000 hours is not just a cliche. It really is true to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Susan Rogers, fresh on my mind, but we, he, she talks a lot about Prince because it was such an extraordinary part of her career and she wants to help keep his legacy alive. But yeah, we were talking about different reasons why he was so unusual. And I was telling her that another thing I heard some years back, but more recently in life is that we always will we'll talk about a Jimi Hendrix or a Prince or insert your virtuoso and, yeah. and you just think they're just so gifted. And yes, they are, but a, a lot of us forget how hard they worked to craft yes. that gift of theirs and become what they were. They worked really hard. 
Yeah. Look, um, look at Bruce. That guy I worked mean, so hard. <laughs> yeah, he did. And once again, Jason was talking about he always loved playing guitar. So to him, it didn't think of it as practice. It was just, oh, I get to be in a room playing a guitar. This is great. And this is what I want to do. Now, he does say he now has to focus on, he says, instead of playing Led Zeppelin for two hours, <laughs> I need to work on what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. That's really good. Where, where did you hear that interview? I'd like to check it out. I will find it and send it to you. I don't remember what off, but I, I will send it to you. Yeah, he's pretty entertaining. He's someone who's new that I think, and he's not that new, all right? His breakout album was 10 years ago, but he is fairly new in my radar. I, I went and saw him twice this year and we have been really, he's my new musical obsession, right? Oh, like every nice. once in a while you find someone, you go, oh, I want to find out everything I can about him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I'm guilty of not listening to much of his stuff and he's new, his name is new on my radar and everyone talks very highly of him, musicians, yeah. music fans. And yeah, I, I would love to hear his interview and I'll check out some of his music. Okay, so. good. Very nice. So what have I not asked you that I should have, Roberto? Man. I feel like we've done a pretty good job of, yeah. of diverse topics. Yeah, we have. You asked me about the podcast and what? Yeah. why did I start it? Yes, why did I start music? Yeah. We talked a little Talk bit about, about the Bruce book. the Stones. You, you, <laughs> oh, the book. Yeah. yeah, it's my humble little book. And I don't think there's anything earth shattering in there. I've, I hear the same themes when I talk to anyone on my podcasts and relationships is one of them. Mm -hmm. They mean so much when you're trying to accomplish anything. Relationships with new people, relationships with people who support you and believe in you. And I like what you said about Jason Isbell, that he just loves playing guitar. It's such a, a lovely reminder, but I think that, that that drove me to play all the gigs that, that I have played in my life. It's just like loving to get together with other musicians and make some of the noise that we make and see people smile and yeah. dance and, and get paid and you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I think we covered a lot of great stuff. When... I, I think also, do you cover into on the podcast and the book when you roll from say yes at every chance you get because you want the experience to, okay, now you need to be a little more selective and yeah, now no. then you need to start getting what you're worth. I do think that's really good advice. It's not advice I ever took. I was always selective. <laughs> Probably when I was a kid, I'd play anywhere for beer, right? But, but no, I was pretty careful oh. as, as yeah as independent musicians especially if you're playing clubs private gigs wineries whatever yeah. they may be you work you spend a lot of time for <laughs> there's a lot of jokes about it about making five dollars or three bucks an hour when it's all said and done and sometimes yeah. the gigs pay pretty well but so anyway i tried i do try to be selective and i do try to encourage other musicians to to get paid I, that's another thing i've heard a lot in my lifetime is oh, i don't really do this for the money or oh, i don't care if i get paid i'm like you should get paid you worked really hard to do this yeah and that probably sounds crazy given the broad range of people that i've spoken with for the podcast who absolutely want to get paid <laughs> but mm -hmm. i think it's the guy that that plays part-time or just very casually that doesn't ever think about it when they could get paid but yeah did I answer the question? <laughs> yes, you did. And that was a really good question. Yeah. Good. All right. Any final thoughts before you get to the Mary question? 
No, I, you know what? I love what you're doing. And for people who I did want to tell you, and I'm sure you've discovered this, yeah. but pod, other podcasters love to be on podcasts. Yes, they and do. And so if that's not a place you've hit, I'm sure you still have to niche it down though. You got to find the music loving ones. Yeah. But, or anybody who's really doing anything that can be a podcast, but they're doing some sort of work. I think that this is just a beautiful uh, medium for people to just get the word about out about what they do, even if the conversation's about Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones and not about what we do. But it's always great for people to hear you and find out that last little thing or whatever that you've got a podcast or whatever you've got. Yeah, I think so too. And what I try to do is I what's easy to have, not easy, but if you just come in and you're trying to pitch your stuff, that cannot necessarily be entertaining. But if you start telling people stories of your lives and your experience, then they like, oh, I like this person. I, I, I want to know more about her or more about them. And then they're like, oh, you know what? I really enjoyed that conversation. I should go check out a couple episodes of the podcast. Or I, I had a friend of mine, I still have a good friend that talked about he's an artist and he said three or four years ago, I, I want to work less and get paid more. I, I'm trying to find better paying gigs for a point. It was like, Hey, if you have art supplies, we'll draw. Right. And yeah, that's good. But then after your point, you're like, I am worth more than that. I am. I have value and I'm adding that. And I think that's, I think that's an important lesson for people to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I may sound like I've always been really good at that, but yeah. I, I certainly have had a lot of moments where I have undervalued <laughs> you know, yes. what I'm doing. And music's not the only thing I do. So it is, it's good advice for all of us that what we do, the art we make or whatever, whatever we're making, if we're helping other people, there's value in that and we should get I, rewarded. Said, I totally agree. All right. Before I get you out of here, I end every podcast with a merry question. So what that is, Jay Armstrong, who is a recent, is a retired English teacher. He has a new book out coming out, but he would give his class when he was teaching the lyrics to Thunder Road. They would read it as if it was a poem, would dust the, discuss the imagery Bruce is using, talk about the themes he explores, and then he would ask his students at the end of the class, does Mary get in the car? So Roberta, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I'm going to preface my answer with, for most of my life, lyrics are the last thing I hear. I hear melody in the lyrics, and I might hear the chorus, but I went my whole life without knowing the lyrics to this song, for example. And you cannot live in the United States when I lived and not have be familiar with the song. Sure. So I was listening to it today and look, reading the lyrics for the very first time. Okay, that said... My guess is no, because Mary is gone already. Yeah. Tell me yeah. what you mean by that. When I read it and listened to the song, when I got to the very end and I went back and I think I, I looked at the last couple of verses and I'm like, Mary's not alive anymore. She's someone, she could be alive, but she's someone from the past. That was my takeaway from it. And I don't know if that's true. But that's just what I took away from it. I think that's a great answer. The reason I love asking the question is I get some wonderful answers, right? And I think I and I am running to a spell of more people similar to you 
Like I had Warren Zanes, who wrote a wonderful book, Delivery from Nowhere, a book on Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. And he said that it's all in his mind. Mary is that girl, and he named a high school crush he had that he says, and I've asked her out, a, I asked her out a thousand times in high school, and I never spoke one word to her. And he says, this is just in his mind, he's doing this. And then, and I also, I love the idea that she's, he's just living this in his mind. So yeah, great answer. Great answer. All right. So if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Unstarvingmusician.com. It's the spoke for everything about me. <laughs> yes. From there, there's a link to the podcast, all your social medias, the book. And so please check it out. I'm looking forward to, to checking out a couple episodes. This sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I hope you had fun. I did. It was a wonderful opportunity, I think. I, as a podcaster, like I mentioned earlier, helping uh, spread the word about what we do or I do, this is one great way to do it. And this is one, this, your podcast, it's a great niche. It looks like you've had a great listening audience and guests. And, but I think for me, it's a great ancillary on to the side of what my podcast does. Yeah. And so I, it was, it's really something I've been wanting to do. And it's the first time that I haven't been on like a podcast that's more in my niche. And yeah. so I, it was a really wonderful opportunity and you're a very pleasant host. So I appreciate well, it. That makes me very happy. I appreciate that. Nothing makes me happier than having someone like that. You're saying, or someone will say, I'll have a fan. And they'll go, Jesse, after a while, I forgot you were interviewing me. We were just having a conversation. And that's when it's the best, right? Yes, absolutely. When it's a casual conversation. And yeah. it was. I appreciate yeah. it. Great. All right, listeners, check out the website. Check out the uh, book. Check out the podcast. Uh, but for now, be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, that listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.